I'm Fathery. This is Dave. This is Brian. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 178th installment of the Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek, old and new, and proud members of the Treksphere Network. Tonight, we are talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 9, Rubicon, written by Alan McElroy and directed by Andy Armaganian. And so this is about the runabout from Deep Space Nine? <laughs> The river That's right. The... DS9 had all the river themed. <laughs> yeah. The best one being the, the Rio Grande or Rio Grande, however you want to say it. Because if you don't know, uh, our international audience might not know that is the, the border between Texas and Mexico is the Rio Grande River. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah but we're going to talk about this, this lame Italian river called the Rubicon. So. <laughs> that apparently yeah. had some vague reference in history. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, crossing well, the Rubicon is a bit different metaphorically. Crossing the Rio Grande, yeah, yeah, it yeah. rather is. <laughs> yeah, it's a very different, very charged politically, but also very different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very different context, and context is for kings. But enough fun with with episode titles. Uh, we need to do a little bit of housekeeping before we get into this episode. Just want to remind everyone that in one week. Uh, I will be in the state of Florida, home to our friend Starfleet Boy. So if you're one of the people who check out the show live on Fridays, then you need to be aware we might be streaming at an earlier time. I'm thinking probably around 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 o'clock Central. I'll be sure to post updates if you follow me on any of the, the socials. You will be in the loop on that, but that's probably a safe bet. Is 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central, because I will be on the Star Trek cruise, and then we will still get the show out while I'm away. We have plans, so hopefully all of that remains on course, and we'll have the discussion of the Picard premiere and also Discovery Season 4, Episode 11 will be the same the same week, the same day, the same podcast. So big stuff on the horizon. Just want to make sure everyone kept that in mind. That might be early time next week. And then Picard in two weeks. We're only two weeks away from the return of Picard after two years of waiting. Fathery, um, if uh, Sohail, uh, if Starfleet Boy uh, hosts, is it going to be like Matt Decker taking over? And Brian's going to have to certify that he's insane to get him out of the seat eventually? <laughs> yeah, that's the same joke that you made uh, last week. That exact one? Yes. No. <laughs> Check the tape. Check the tape. All right. Consistency All right. is a virtue. It is. Yes. Uh, I normally wouldn't point that out, but I feel like it would be so obvious in the uh, to our audience. So I had to I had to get in front of it. Fair enough. <laughs> but we're also going to be fair on this episode 
and cut it apart, look at it from various different angles, give a deep dive analysis to it, and just share our overall opinions on it. So before we do that, I want to recap it by reading the official synopsis, and then I'll kind of expand on that with spoilers to give a real quick summary, and then we'll each share our broad thoughts on the episode before discussing it in greater detail. We have this episode of Rubicon. Uh, The official synopsis reads, Captain Burnham and the USS Discovery race to stop Book and Ruan Tarka from launching a rogue planet that could inadvertently endanger the galaxy. So, yeah, essentially the plan that Tarka and Book had of using the isolinear weapon on the DMA Burnham is actually able to talk Book out of doing that. They come to a compromise like, hey, let's just wait and see if we can maybe make first contact with these aliens and find some other solution. And then Tarka is like, oh, screw that. And he pulls the trigger on it and they destroy the DMA only to learn that these aliens are so powerful. They just instantly create another one. Some of those. I want to see a little little end uh, sequence, uh, post-credit sequence of the aliens just chuckling. <laughs> like, just Either like, that or there's just like, like hit a, the backup button. Yeah, yeah, there's just like some maintenance guy. He sees like a like a little light bulb is burnt oh, out, so he that just, went off. Yeah, yeah, presses some buttons or something. Well, other than that, he's just playing solitaire on the work computer all day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's those super. Uh, it's the super uh, robots from Picard. <laughs> the Sinthulu people. Yeah. Uh, well, in our live audience, Doc McGillicuddy saying it's V'ger. Uh, that's a, that's been a popular theory for a while. I don't think it's going to pan out, but I've been he wrong threw in, uh, He threw in so many R's on there, I think Doc McGillicuddy is a pirate. <laughs> it's V'ger. <laughs> you got to say it. Well, uh, uh, so Brian. Digitized my leg. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, uh, we'll let you give the first opening statement. Will you just share with everyone your broad thoughts on Rubicon? Yeah, um, I like this one a lot. Uh, again, this is, uh, it, it's, it kind of reminds me of some of the other ones this season in that it's got uh, a whole lot of ad- adventure and action, but also, fa- uh, but all of it laying on top of foundation of, of, of meditations on the human condition and, 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 and character drama um, and stuff. And, and of course the, the, the ever solid bedrock of Michael and book, um, which apparently can support just about anything as we've seen saw last week. Um, and uh, yeah, so I overall liked it a lot. Um, the thing that struck me most about this one, though, it's something I've been seeing uh, fairly often since the current showrunner took over on Discovery. Michelle Paradise. Michelle Paradise, yes. The uh, I love how Discovery these days embrace embraces the value of open communications even when things are awkward and uncomfortable it still sees the value in that and and obviously this is somewhat championed by michael um but but by other characters as well so much drama these days and and for, throughout history since way back when is the drama is generated because one person doesn't know something that somebody else knows and Discovery these days tries to fly above that uh, by just having people be honest, sometimes brutally, sometimes uh, even meanly honest with each other all the time. But a lot of times in a very affectionate, helpful way as well. I like that because it forces you to come up with, instead of the conflict is because 
this person A doesn't know everything person B knows, and perhaps even B doesn't know everything A knows, instead of that driving the conflict, and you feel like if these two people could just sit down at a table and have a conversation, they'd probably work it all out. It's actual ideology and 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 foundational motivations that are driving driving the conflict in the story rather than a lack of information. And so much of Discovery season one and two was about people lying to each other and keeping secrets from each other that I really like that Michael's just kind of running around spearheading everyone just being honest with each other. Like, you know, and that it works. It, it, it Perhaps in an unrealistic Star Trek way it works, but it's still, it's part of what I love about Star Trek is is that sense of optimism. Like Michael literally just sends information off to book while he's off running around trying to start a big, you know, inter multi-galactic war and book will actually reply to the messages. They, they, they actually keep a surprising amount of open dialogue between the two of them, even though they're supposed to be enemies, butting heads. Like it's not quite as toned down as the, the, uh, the Looney Tunes thing where the, 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 what is it? The wolf and the sheepdog punch the clock before they (laughs) go to work, but, uh, fighting each other. But there's definitely this, this level of open communications and, and Michael is also like, and they highlight it in this episode where Michael says, Oh yeah, non is here to keep an eye on me and make sure I'm objective um, and take over if I'm not. And, and she actually at one, at a later point says, Oh yeah, if I, um, if non says to fire the missile, fire the missile, Um, you know, there's this, there's this sense of open honesty that it's, not admitting that I agree with you, but we we are not going to be playing mind games by keeping secrets from each other um, that I actually really appreciate about the show. And I really appreciated about this episode is that it showed there's a strength in that and that you can still tell really interesting, really dramatic stories that are probably more meaningful because secrecy is not the only thing that is driving the conflict. Anyway, sorry, went on for a bit, but that, that was that was my thoughts. Cool. Dave, what about you? You know, um, I, I, I sort of agree with Brian in theory, <laughs> but in <laughs> practice, uh, because because I, I, I do find that the trope of secrets is A, uh, an overplayed trope, and B, I, you know, I want to see Trek uh, pushing me beyond uh, what, what, you know, what I'm used to in, uh, in the 21st century. Uh, I remember I was a little resistant to some of the family chumminess of the crew in Next Generation, and because I was used to sort of the, I guess they'd say a more militaristic 60s style is what I grew up with. So, so, so I do like the idea of communication, but I also found that it felt like it robbed the episode of a lot of drama uh, as, as executed, uh, that I felt it was like a toothless suspense to me. And so unfortunately that second part where you've set, found that it was telling a meaningful story was, wasn't so much the case for me. <laughs> uh, I felt like non pulled back so many times on the that threat to take over i was actually thinking of the doomsday machine uh, earlier um <laughs> to to return to that one more time uh because of the the incredible suspense when matt decker was in command and they disagreed and and it was like oh this guy is well he's 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 gone full ahab basically uh, you know, I don't need to see that recreated, but I do want some of that, some level, me- method of that level of that intensity when you're closing in on the end of a season 
and you've got essentially, you know, the possible like annihilation of an alien race or the triggering of their retaliation that could, you know, really just go terribly for the galaxy. Uh, I wanted more suspense, but non kept on pulling back when Burnham would say, no, no, he fired torpedoes at us, but or no, he, he it probably wasn't him who, who pulled the trigger. It was somebody else. Uh, and and I just I felt like I was like, oh, Nan is not exactly clamping down on Burnham's excesses. <laughs> and uh, so the, the suspense, I was like, OK, once it became clear that Burnham and Book were kind of both uh, going to go to bat for each other. I felt like it was I was kind of just twiddling my thumbs waiting for their inevitable compromise. And I was even pretty sure that Tarka was going to, like, pull the trigger anyway. And that is what happened. I, I saw somebody's review somewhere and I, they said something that made sense to me, which was that this episode, I think, could have been truncated to the last 15 minutes of the previous episode. That uh, that episode uh, could have, you know, could have been tightened up and to, to make room for this. And, and gone gone out with a bang because yeah I did I don't think they had the they wanted a sort of a variant of a Mutara Nebula kind of showdown with both of their you know experiences together matching them up but you know if you say oh no as soon as they see this thing if they pull the trigger it's it's that's the end of it so we got to stop them before they do that but then they keep on saying like well let me keep him on the line well let me keep him on the line again well maybe he didn't mean it yeah uh, but they had a plan they just they were just needed to buy enough time for for them to come up with the computer algorithm that would predict how long it takes for the dmc to move around uh or dma dma um, to move right. Around. Well, they, they they set it up so that there were like initially they were sort of making it sound like the instant that they get there, basically, as soon as you spot this, which could happen at any point, as soon as they get to that center of it or whatever, that, um, you know, book could fire and, and target could fire the weapon. And that's it. Uh, no, they've crossed the Rubicon. And um, but like once they got there, there still seemed to be I was like, oh, man, they're they're in the cloud that this is do or die time. They, if they see him, they're going to have to shoot. And not only did they not shoot, like, but like, well, uh, eventually, eventually they did. But they got to the point where, like, he shot at them, they shot at him, and <laughs> and they were like getting in between him and that. And I was just like, really? Like, are we? That, that seems silly to me. Just, just toothless and silly. Anyway, I, I don't want to get to to the point of repeating myself. We can talk about it a little bit more as we get into specifics. But I this is the third episode in a row that I've really been like oof uh, about. So I'm uh, really hoping the last the last uh, few episodes uh, surprise me. Fathery. Cool. Well, for me, I had a few issues with the episode last week. It did win me over in the end, but there were some things where I was disappointed. I really loved the episode before last week that I thought that set up this conflict between Book and Burnham, and I felt last week kind of undercut some of it. Uh, I wanted their next reunion to be a bit of a more dramatic confrontation, and I got that with this episode. I feel like this was getting back on course. Uh, I, I'm actually really enjoying the show now more than I've ever enjoyed it in its four seasons. And I think a big part of that is because it's shaken a lot of the awkwardness and kind of aimlessness that I, f I feel Discovery's had from ver very early on. Uh, I like the spotlight on the Book and Burnham relationship. And for exactly some of the same reasons Brian was mentioning, that open honesty and communication between the two of them really helps me like, buy into it. And I thought it was really cool to actually see this con conflict between like these two people who who 
hate that they're having to go against each other and trying to, you know, they're trying to avoid uh, hurting each other. The way that they, they structured all the the ship shenanigans, the spore jumping and blocking the other ship and you know, shooting torpedoes, shooting sensor blinders, all of that stuff. I, I was really impressed with how Discovery actually slowed down when it needed to slow down to explain those things and then was able to very gracefully speed back up when it wanted to do more of the flashy, action-y things. And I was like, wow, like the show has always had like this really awkward style of things like pacing or you know taking the time to explain little technical details that make certain sequences make more sense. And I'm, I'm watching this episode, I'm like, oh, th- they've actually figured out how to like have their cake and eat it too. And uh, that that impressed me a lot, which probably shouldn't be that big of an impressive thing. That should just kind of be a, a standard expectation, but it's something the show's always struggled with. So I'm glad to see it shake that criticism. And uh, I also I, I I saw some other people saying like this episode is like very predictable to them. I don't know if it's because like I wake up at like one in the morning to watch these as soon as they hit Paramount <laughs> Plus or what, or if I was just like so like bought into the story and the emotion of what Book and Burnham are going through, but. I was kind of uh, expecting them to to stop Book and Tarka at the end. So when when Tarka made the decision for the entire galaxy, like no, we're just we're going across the Rubicon now, baby, and pulls the trigger. Uh, that actually caught me off guard, and I was like, oh wow, I wasn't expecting that. Um, I I'm not at all surprised that he would do that, but I just wasn't thinking that I would I would see that in this episode. This is really how I wanted Book and Burnham to cross paths again here, where they're they're still kind of separated. Um, we, you know, we never actually see them in the same room together, so it has that kind of they're metaphorically and physically separated from one another. It's the uh, Kirk and Khan thing in a different, very different way. I yeah, it, it, is, one... it is a little like that Star Trek yeah. two at the Khan well... thing. And one of the thoughts I had was everyone's always like, "Oh, let's rip off Star Trek two. Fans loved that." This is a ripoff of Star Trek II that I thought actually worked because I think it was pulling what we people really like about Star Trek II out of it. The battle of wits and the the constant one-upmanship of, of trying to come up with who's got the better clever plan and, and the kind of personal stakes tied to that. Rather than, oh, look, we've got somebody who wants revenge and he's going to blow up a bunch of stuff because of it. Which I don't think that's exactly what people love about Star Trek 2, even if they don't necessarily realize that's not what they love. And I thought this did a much better job of ripping off Star Trek 2 than just about anything I've seen. Well, let's go ahead and get into our episode breakdown where we can kind of talk about the episode beat by beat. And we'll start at the beginning of the episode. Uh, We open with book and tarka where we left off with them last week they're building their weapon in their little rogue planet base and then we also see some stuff at hq with vance and bringing back non to the ship and uh we see that that hollow voicemail that book sent to burnham one of the things i thought was like kind of silly at first but then when i thought about it a little bit it made sense but just the the idea of they have all this advanced technology and to construct (laughs) this weapon they're like carefully like pouring like like ingredients out of like laboratory be like very future looking laboratory mm-hmm. beakers and stuff like you can't just like use transporters to beam the stuff but they're dealing with like really like unstable dangerous stuff like yeah maybe you can't do that it was a visual shorthand to show that I mean, just yeah i think i think it was a visual shorthand uh, for suspense um i can't imagine there would be anything that they would do that wouldn't be better done by a computer <laughs> but it didn't particularly bother me because yeah like um uh, i guess for me at least i'll take any suspense i can in this episode and that was one of the few scenes i found suspenseful <laughs> you do wonder that 
that anything this volatile and special and exotic and dangerous, you'd think you'd have to wear some special suits or something to be <laughs> handling it. But maybe there's a force field around it, though I certainly, if I'd been involved, would have thrown up a little glowy force field ar effect around the thing just to show that, yes, you don't want to be breathing the same air as this thing. So I was thinking <laughs> that when uh, Tarka's like pouring something, I couldn't remember, did it look like sort of like uh, some fine grain or like a powder? Uh, it's, it, it's, it's futuristic quadro yeah, it was it was book book pouring the uh the isolinium uh, and i was like did a few of the little pieces kind of bounce out like when i'm filling a cat food bowl and i'm like <laughs> i feel like that might be a bad thing anyway well he's got a cat to take care of those pieces so it'll be fine well he left he left the cat on discovery Can oh. They... <laughs> oh no <laughs> the one flaw in their plan is that the cat couldn't eat up the straight isolinear bits. Yeah, and that's why Book was so protective of Discovery was his cat was on board that ship. <laughs> oh yeah, he actually didn't care about the the people no, on no, it. No. This is the cat. Oh no, the <laughs> <my> cat. <laughs> but they they show us at this beginning the two of them working together. But they they show that Book has still has like a little bit of uneasiness and. Uh, Tarka um, explains how he's actually going to acquire his, or so he thinks he's going to acquire his power source with the, the null space bubble to protect the power source. I'm glad they actually offer that explanation because then if he just like blows the thing up at the end and there's no power source, it'd be like, well, it looked like if there was one, you would have blown it up, you dummy. So I'd like that they, <laughs> that's, that's the thing I was talking about. Like the show, like sometimes is like really awkwardly, like forget to do these little dot the I's, cross the T things. They've gotten so much better at writing that type of stuff. I think yeah. after just years of being beat up on the internet by people like <laughs> us who pick these things apart, they they actually um, put a lot of effort into that now. Yeah. So it is I mean, appreciated. I just, want, I just really, want that compliment thrown out there for all the shit they get a, when they don't do it. Yeah, there is an art form to it. But if you've got one guy on your writing staff who knows how to do it, they can just read through anybody's script and just add a couple of lines here, there, and whatever. Um, Steve Moffat was really good at just throwing in a line or two of dialogue to justify whatever crazy stuff he wanted to do on screen and making it within the context of Doctor Who work. Um, and I, it was something Russell T. Davies was terrible at. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I appreciate, maybe they just got one person in the writer room um, who, who's good at this, who just goes through and, you know, checks, uh, dots these I's and crosses these T's, like you say. I see that uh, in the comments that uh, the high tech op option of a funnel uh, for the uh, for, uh, is suggested. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Stress, -free stress free K. K. Yeah. <laughs> Beam um, funnel to me. Yes. If funnels like, like seatbelts don't exist in this time. <laughs> I can, you know, I, 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 I honestly don't won't complain too much about it. It's not. I, I don't have too many issues with dramatic tech problems. But I, I like what Brian had mentioned, the, the voicemail that Book leaves Burnham, how like they are uh, trying to, you know, reach out to each other. And uh, they, they have the big payoff of that later at the end when Book explains to Tarka how he does like completely trust Burnham. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah. I'm not a guy who like gets real sappy with, with love stories very often. And I, th I think they're good when they're done well, but it's, not, it's, it's rarely something that I, I really fixate on in, in my fictional narratives that I consume a, a bunch of. Um, but that was one thing that I thought was like really cool that they highlighted here is just like, um, yeah, there is something like really special when you have like, you know, someone that like you've never lied to them, they've never lied to you, and you just like so completely trust each other. 
I, I like that they were able to showcase that here. Uh, I think a lot of what they're doing in, in season four right now really depends on if you buy into the the book and Burnham relationship. And I, I find it like really fascinating and fun to watch and engaging. And that's, you know, that's why I said like, I'm, I like the, the focus of that instead of that kind of awkward disco. Oh, well, let's go over here and mess around with the red angel. But then we got to go over here and do like this weird thing with control. And then, oh my God, all of a sudden, like we're in the future or the mirror universe or whatever. Uh, it, it just feels much more strange. And I think it does probably benefit from there being stability in the writer's room. And they had a little bit of a delay before they were able to start shooting this season. So I think they might have had time to like iron out some scripts or something. But but yeah, I, I definitely um enjoying these these moments between Book and Burnham. Makes me wonder what they're setting up towards the end of the season, which I have some theories on I'll, I'll share at the end of the show. Father, you and I talked a little off mic uh, as I've kind of slowly come to the realization that that Burnham may be my least favorite character in the ensemble that is Discovery. <laughs> so a few episodes that focus exclusively on her and Book, and I thought Book's addition would kind of revitalize my interest in her as a character, but it, it just doesn't seem to be. I don't know why. I just – I find all the – this is – for, for years I've seen people on shows like uh, Buffy and things like that say like, uh, Buffy is the one I hate the least. She's super boring. Willow is interesting. Xander is interesting. Giles is interesting or whatever and i'm like i get that but i like buffy man what's wrong with y'all but this is a rare case where i think i've found that i'm not i'm not fully able to plug into burnham if she's not part of a broader ensemble so um I, yeah, i've been seriously missing more saru time tilly's absence and all of that stuff and uh and i think that's that may be part of why i've disengaged from the last few episodes so notably is because yeah i it's not so much that i don't buy into their relationship it's just that i'm not engaged with it what did y'all think about the return of of non was that like a character people were like dying to see back i, yum, I was kind of surprised that yeah yeah the the, the yum yum barzan um uh, that, that's kind of like all she's known for to me but a lot of people were like really thrilled to see her back so uh i noticed that I it's sort of the them. In Trek circles, uh, I think I'm I'm neutral on it. I honestly was was solidly on board it, uh, although it felt like I was like, how did she kind of rise through the ranks quickly enough to be able to have oversight of uh, a ship captain? Uh, that that seemed a little weird to me. Um, I would have been more on board had her presence had more teeth. Well, I mean, she kind of outright says at the front end, I didn't want the job going to somebody else, doesn't she? <laughs> uh, but, like, you're talking about Non said that? Yeah, to, Non to says like, something um, to that effect. The Admiral? Uh, to, to, uh, actually, to Michael, when she's kind of, when they're, she's well, like, I mean, oh, like, yeah, well, I didn't want the job well, going to somebody else. And I was like, so you can, in hindsight, it was just, I don't want somebody screwing up Michael because I trust Michael, so I'm going to volunteer to be her her babysitter because I know I won't screw up my Well, I think I think it was Vance's call. I okay. think he's the one. Right. He, That's, he, I assumed Vance made the call on that, but okay. I was just like why how did non get uh I, I don't I, you know I don't know that there's particular precedent for putting somebody yeah. who essentially has a who can pull the trigger on on a weapon on on a bridge of a ship or something yeah. like that but i was like she's not an admiral she doesn't outrank michael i don't think <laughs> so how did she uh how did she get that spot and i and i guess it's kind of a special position assigned by vance yeah well and she's working in federation security which was kind of odd they called it federation security yeah. instead of starfleet security but yeah. this is the this is the 32nd century they've folded all these organizations into one another but she's she's not like a low-ranking she's a commander she's a full commander 
Um, so she's not like pretty low. I mean, like they they're able to give Cisco command of a deep space station. So I think like you're in charge of like firing on the ship is. Uh, I think I think that's acceptable to give to a yeah. a commander from your from your intelligence organization. I had forgotten that they in seasons two and three kind of writing this character to be like uh you know like the security badass a little more hawkish and, and uh yeah yeah definitely more like she's kind of the wharf of the yep. show so um i i think we're meant to believe yeah yeah oh yeah she has just like shown to be like really great on this last year her doing like all of these uh these nasty emerald chain recon missions that she was on i was happy um, to see that, that like just on a general level she got to have her implants removed they did some cool 32nd century stuff uh medical stuff and um so so that was yeah. cool i have to admit i was like oh non's buck i guess that's cool i guess i, I did <laughs> not that was about my reaction i don't dislike the character i thought they used her in an interesting way but i i if it had been some new character i don't think i would have <laughs> liked or disliked the episode much more or less than I did if it had been some new person we hadn't met before, as long as they were well written. You're um, saying you're uh, you're sort of non-committal. Yes, I'm non-committal. <laughs> I do want to know what is Federation security. I know the old uh, last Unicorn Games role-playing game had something called Federation Security Service or something, and they were like the FBI. Well, Starfleet Intelligence was kind of the CIA, you know, so they would handle largely internal matters to the Federation and internal crimes and problems. Well, the, well, the, if Starfleet Intelligence would handle external threats, but they also say that she's busy yeah. dealing, going out and dealing with Emerald Chain stuff. Uh, Those and, like out on the borders. Out of, I think, I think the words they say are outer sectors, which could yeah. still be inside the Federation. It could be like the outer sectors of like going like undercover, like a federal agent going undercover and like organized crime or something like that. But yeah, that's to me like it, the her her role did feel more like CIA than FBI in my opinion. Yes. However, and they said in season 3 that the Federation and Starfleet are basically merged into one organization. So like your your government and then your military slash NASA is all like one big thing now. Uh, so but again, then why isn't she just Starfleet security? <laughs> why why is she Federation security if it's merged? So I was a little confused. Well, she has a Starfleet she... badge. I liked her uniform though. Yeah. It looked kind of um it looked uh, mean and like yeah. in gray, but <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I, like that's that's kind of the vibe they're going going for. She's more of the soldier type. I guess I felt like if they're going to make a big deal about her being Federation security instead of Starfleet security, then they should explain what that means, and they didn't. And yeah. I, I don't, I don't think they're under obligation to do that because they've they've kind of. When they said like the Federation and Starfleet, it's all like one thing under one roof now. I I feel like they kind of like gave themselves a pass on this type I, of stuff. I I guess, but then why make a big deal about the difference? <laughs> they didn't though. They just said that she's Federation security. Like, have they ever mentioned? They've never mentioned Starfleet security in in seasons three and four, have they? I don't know. I, I don't. I, I don't think it's something yeah. that like Harley. Father, you think they just. Gonna... You think they just dropped yeah. it down there as kind of a placeholder to yeah. use or modify later on as they see fit, probably. Yeah, I, I don't think it's something that 
that that's going to cause too much of a of a stir. But you know, um, you, you t father, you talked about how she looked a little. Uh, she kind of had a harsher looking uniform and stuff. I, I felt that that was undercut by the amount of hugs between her and Burnham. <laughs> yeah, it's like like they want her to be like this tough soldier, but they still want her to be like, oh, it's like the friendly sister has like come by to visit the family or you know something like that. <laughs> what um, I wanted, but you know, my the the my. Uh, my model for that is uh, Jellico from TNG. Mm. I, I need I need you to come on strong like him and be an asshole. <laughs> oh, yeah, they could have done this with uh, y'all. Remember uh, Commander Wilma? I think was her or Willa. Willa, Commander Willa. She was Vance's aide, like in season three, and she was kind of a hard ass when they first like met the Federation. And Vance was like, "I don't know, I don't know you people. I don't know if I can trust you. This weird mm. ship. There's no record of." But yeah, they could have used her. But I I think. People obviously like missed Nod. Um, I'm I'm not sure why. I mean, I don't have anything against the character, so I mean, I'm happy people are able to celebrate her return. And I do like the idea of this revolving door on Discovery, where characters can leave and come back. They've really been doing this for a long time. You know, they've always had like captains drop in and then leave. You know, started we started with Lorca, and then we had Pike come by for a season, then he left, and you know, Tyler was on the ship, then he wasn't on the ship, then Tyler came back, and then. He stayed in the 23rd century, but uh, Saru left and came back. Tilly left and is going to come back. I kind of thought she'd be back by now. but uh, That's so... an interesting point. I, I do – well, I, I guess I don't want him to, like – people coming and going so willy-nilly it loses a little bit of that familial quality then but i do like the in its way it feels more realistic that a person might be transferred on occasion and and it gives them i think probably the actors some room to occasionally pursue a project and then return without it being some definitive mm. goodbye uh and and i think that's smart of them we we get a little bit more of the the bridge characters talking to each other uh reese their tactical guy Reese, he like really wants to like talk politics at work. He's he's like he's like that dude with like the the fringe opinion, like trying to sniff out someone who agrees with him. He's like, you know, what do you, how do you feel about Book doing this? You know, I I, I kind of sympathize with him. You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, apparently it's not that fringe. It was like pretty like a fair number of people voted on it and the, yeah. they had their thing before. He's yeah. not quite like he's not like QAnon. <laughs> now, last week, uh, we, we were talking about this type of stuff, and I believe it was you, Dave, who mentioned, like, it'd be cool if we could see, like, civilians talk about, you know, how they feel about, like, the politics of, of the Federation, how, like, all this crazy DMA stuff is, like, affecting the kind of the, the everyman on the street. Uh, it's not exactly that, but I, I think just the, the few little glimpses of Reese and, you know, later with Bryce and uh, here uh, on, the, on the bridge of the Discovery with, hell, I can't think of her name blonde lady nilson lieutenant nilson but yeah it, we we do get like a little bit of that they don't they don't really flesh it out much it's all very surface level but i, I agree it's it, it, broadly speaking that's, that's kind of a it's kind of a good idea it's a way to show that it's being discussed that the people that, that not you know only the big decision makers yeah. you know have thought about this and that maybe their voices aren't the only ones we should at least consider yeah, you know, TOS did that. Of course, I think uh, I remembering the guy who was, uh, uh, you know, smarting off uh, about Vulcans and uh, Romulans in uh, Balance of Terror. Oh yeah, or... yeah, Styles. Because um, if your name's yeah. if your name's Styles and you're in Starfleet, you're an asshole, even though they spell it differently. <laughs> is that it differently when Kirk than Star Trek Three Styles? Is that when Kirk is like, "There's no room for bigotry," yeah, on the on this bridge or something? Yeah, but on Michael Burnham's bridge, what she has room for is transparency. And it's more that honesty Brian was talking about when Non is going to try to play it cool. And she's like, oh, I'm just here to observe instead of being like, oh, I'm here to 
override Burnham's command if if I deem it necessary. And then Burnham is the one who's transparent and tells everyone like like no like they deserve to know. Um, that's, yeah. that's why you're here. So I, I liked that. And and this is all setting up when Book turns and says I trust Michael completely. It's because Michael is completely and utterly honest all the time to everybody. Uh, at least, at least in this episode, that's the spin we're taking on it. So I, I, I like that. I like that we're setting it up. Even though Book's not in the room, that's setting up that moment with Book. And when they go off on their mission to the rogue planet, we see the Discovery cloak. So I was like, oh, yeah, they actually remember that the ship has a cloaking device because they don't really use it all that much. <laughs> and we got to see it spore drive while cloaked. And that was a cool little visual <laughs> sequence, I thought, where we see, like, the spore drive effect, but we don't see the ship. Yeah. yeah, but they, like, kind of show you it by, like, little energy particles and stuff around it. Yeah. Uh, there's, like, it suggests it. Uh, that was That was a cool yeah. effect. Okay, so to go to cl- to activate the cloak, a Starfleet ship needs to go to blue alert, but to activate the spore drive, you have to go to black alert. So I guess we're in black and blue alert. We're in dark <laughs> blue, dark blue alert. Dark blue alert. <laughs> Let's talk about the the shuttle mission to to board books ship when they they track them to the to the rogue planet and uh how that goes horribly wrong, but that is where we get more like the Reese and Bryce trying to talk politics and i think i think the reason why reese is so like sympathetic to book might be y'all remember in that episode the examples when they're evacuating the the planet with the prison and reese said like oh yeah when i was a kid like a hurricane wiped out my my town i lived in so i don't know if if, if he's like i if I, I can only imagine what that'd be like if it was a whole planet i i well i sympathize with book yeah, he's like he's thinking right now. He's like, if only I could find that hurricane and blow it up. Yeah, um, <laughs> if only, uh, if you, if only if a mad scientist seen... was trying to blow up hurricanes. <laughs> yeah, if you've yeah. ever seen Twister, uh, Helen Hunt's character kind of insanely seems to want somehow want to get revenge or die uh, fighting a tornado since her father was killed by one. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it the episode for the uniform? I can't. I get, I get some of the the episode titles mixed up, but it's uh it's one of the Deep Space Nine Maquis centric episodes. I know there is one called For the Uniform, but the one I'm thinking of is in season four, where it's revealed. You know, spoilers for season four DS Nine, but it's revealed that Eddington has has been w- working with the Maquis. But there's the sequence there where they're talking about the Maquis, and we kind of see a, a scene similar to this where they're discussing politics. Uh, on the on the bridge of a ship and Bashir saying, you know, he he thinks the Maquis are all terrible. And then O'Brien being the Irish guy of all people, he's saying like, oh, well, you know, I kind of sympathize with like some of their their freedom fighter motivations. And then Eddington, you know, trying to play it cool and not not show that he's like undercover Maquis. But he's like, uh, uh, I don't have any opinions. I just follow orders and do whatever Starfleet says. If they say go track these Maquis, I'll go track the Maquis. And, and it's as simple as that. But it kind of reminded me of that when I watched this scene. I did slightly wonder about the wisdom of sending in a, a commando team to apprehend Book where one of the people on the team is all like, I think Book's doing the right thing. But I was like, <laughs> that's, that's got to be worse than putting Michael on the team, right? Michael you know, at least uh, thinks Book is doing the wrong thing, even if she's really sympathetic toward him. She at least thinks he's doing the wrong thing. <laughs> maybe they should have had uh, Non bring an assistant so she could go to, to go on shuttle missions to cover those. Yeah. I, um, I also... Yum, yum. Yeah. <laughs> 
I also thought it was odd that there was that lie. Oh, he's going to get life in prison, right? I was like, so that's still a thing in the Federation. You you can just be locked away for life for, for trying to save the galaxy in a misguided and perhaps not entirely ethical, but still fairly understandable way. So- I, here's a quick question. I know that... Um- Book was kind of like a free agent on the Discovery. I can't remember or on Discovery. Did he go through Starfleet training? Maybe like between seasons. They, I, I think, but like the, we don't, we don't know for sure. The term that they used was consultant. He may not really know Starfleet law so well, and he, you know, that might have just been like, oh, that's what I think is going to happen. I don't even know. He, he might be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't they wearing their little tactical armor vests that they use whenever they beam down to any planet? That probably maybe, would have been a good idea since they were would have to expect likely resistance of some sort. Maybe well, they I mean, were maybe they were uh, going to deploy that with their little programmable matter where it just like appears on you whenever they they go. I mean, on board. I mean, they had the docking tube extended and they still <laughs> hadn't switched on their body armor. The body armor they wear. Every single time they leave the ship to explore anything, <laughs> or they they wanted to appear friendly. I did I did like that they explained. Yeah, well, we're gonna bring Doctor Colbert to try to like talk them down. There's so many Leave things they did us. though that I, I felt like the notion that in this volatile a time that you could like kind of beam on board somebody's ship, sneak up, jump out on the bridge, and be like, hey, and then say like, now easy, we're not gonna fight. Uh, like it seemed like a little bit like like that seemed insane to me to jump to a, a role playing game comparison. I feel like if players did that, it would seem kind of crazy. Like we're gonna beam onto the enemy ship, walk up to their bridge, and tell them we want to negotiate. I mean, it depends. The Doctor Who role playing <laughs> game has mechanics that actually encourage that behavior. Like... I feel like Doctor Who is a little bit more that that its its particular level of quirk would would allow it. Trek. Eh... I don't know. But uh, I mean, also, I, I think they they didn't wear any heavier uniforms because they knew that their mission was going to get uh, uh, undercut, like many things in this episode, and that robbed of suspense by uh, by being uh, ejected. <laughs> they had read the script. Yeah, they read the script and knew they wouldn't need their their tactical uniforms. <laughs> yeah. um, I also thought, oh, the shuttle's going to decompress. Don't they have like spacesuits that if they could just push a button and zoom? They've got a space. Yeah, suit on. they put they had stamets floating around in that little bubble. At yeah. the end of season three. But I mean, the animated series had force filled belts that n- yeah. no one ever seems to want to use anymore. Yeah. Um, I think the th- truth is that they just didn't want, to, you know, it was ultimately a sort of minor scene for the episode. Um, uh, and they, they, they didn't want to like dive too deep onto the logistics. But the, there is one thing I really liked about it. And and I agree. I would just would have gone on there and just stunned them because you know that's the yeah, only thing exactly. in Star Trek. I, I'm at always, stage. you, you have a little machine, a little, uh, handheld device that can just make people go take a nap whenever that's convenient for you. So I would, I would, I would use that pretty willy nilly, but the thing I liked about this is it showed book having concern for his, I guess he still thinks of them as shipmates and friends and stuff, but you know, where he, he's scrambling to try to help the shuttle disconnect from that programmable matter alarm system that Tarka set up without permission. They, they take a couple of opportunities throughout the episode to, sh- to keep the audience from being like too mad at book to be like, 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 no, 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 no. Like he's still, he's still on our side. Uh, he's, he's still going to try to uh, help and not be too hostile. Yeah. I, um, I did think Tarka may be a genius, but he is terrible at practical applications of his technology. 
Like, who builds a secure a, a lethal security system that doesn't have an off switch? <laughs> I mean, I can see putting it, you know, behind a code that only Tarka can just switch it off, not book, and you know, okay, but no, I there's nothing I can do to switch off this security system. It's completely lethal and it's gonna kill them all, and I'm just gonna well, I can't I do suppose about it. I'm like, really? What? In uh, Tarka's defense, <laughs> which is a strange thing to say, it may have been like he's got bigger fish to fry and he was like when he was designing that system he's like uh you know i just want it to do its job and he's assumed that you know basically he didn't spend time fine-tuning it he's like yeah. it needs to defend me that's and i'm gonna work under the next problem yeah, by the way I, well go ahead finish what were well, you saying, no, I, I i agree with you i, I think it's plausible given <laughs> who tarka is but it is the terrible circumstances, <laughs> the circumstances are but it also shows you what kind of person tarka is that if he's running short on time an off switch to the lethal weapon is one <laughs> of the things he will not uh, one of the features he won't bother in including in his programming code uh so yeah um uh, I, I, just as an aside over in the comments i see uh, michael stepniak said uh that he's uh on team book at this point mining equipment equal bad and we can talk <laughs> uh, well i guess that was really more of a, a last season thing when we found out it was like a dredge or something like that yeah. um, last and, episode you know, not last season or last se uh, last episode yeah um I, I guess this kind of comes down to you know what they still have secrets to reveal about whatever their motivations are but uh i i do kind of get it and then um I think it's like, is this one of those things like Galactus in Marvel comics where these aliens are so above us that they don't think of what they're doing as like being that harmful or to them it isn't. But, but I also think that the show may have something different from that up its sleeve. Cause that's kind of an old sci-fi cliche yeah. too. And I, I just want to point out that uh, I, I don't know if they'll be able to succeed at pulling this off or not, or what will happen, but I just want to point out, you know, I, I see so much speculation on the internet. Like I think it's V'ger. I think it's the Borg. I think it's Q. Um, but Michelle Paradise uh, just said this week in the I think it was in the Spaces event that they did with some of the actors and with with her uh, talking about the season. She said that they wanted to be sure to make make the 10 C unlike anything we've seen before. So if she's to be believed, if she's not just trying to mislead us, if we're going to trust what Michelle Paradise said, I don't think it's going to be a species we've seen before. I think it's going to be I, I, I like a new Michael. A new creature. Michael Stepniak's uh, suggestion. Uh, yes, in our live audience, Michael Stepniak says it's clearly Murph. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, there it occurs to me that there's room for what she said to be true, but also a lie uh, in the sense that, oh, it could be the whale probe or V'ger or whatever we, we want, um, the Nexus. Uh, evolved into something completely different from its original intent, evolved so far beyond that it is not even close to what it once was. I think she probably was being on the level uh, and, and, and literally meant it's not going to be some callback. But um, but there is a, there's wiggle room, I think, in the in that wording, if it's if it was in that ballpark for yeah. it to still have be something yeah. like that. Yeah, the, it um, could be. It could still be something like the Borg, but they've just like adapted into this 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 new version of themselves that's unlike anything we've seen before. For yeah. example, the idea that they're they're calling back to techno babble from that Voyager episode, the Omega Directive. That was the title of the episode. Yes, Omega yes. Directive, and the, and where, the we, fact... where we learned about Boronite, which yeah. is what the the Ten C seemed to be mining with the DNA. Yes. And then the the DMA itself looks a little like a a, a bunch of uh, omega molecules put together into a little stable form. Makes me wonder if 
I don't, it might be a whole new alien species, but we might, I'm, I'm starting to get skeptical that we're going to make it out of this season without hearing the word Omega in the context that it originally showed up with in, in that Voyager episode, um, that, that the words Omega molecules are going, Omega molecule is going to show up before we get out of the season. Even if we're, even if it's a whole new species that's building it, which I suspect it probably will be. Well, let's go inside the DMA and talk about the, the hunt for the DMA controller they have to find the the device at the center of it the cat and mouse games between bookship and the discovery and oh. then uh burnham talking book into standing down and and tarka taking us across the river oh one quick point on the star trek 2 parallels when somebody is in danger we bring them to the bridge and not sick bay but just like in star trek 2 um so they beat no. everyone off. <laughs> You're talking about everyone. Scotty's uh, Scotty's doomed nephew. Nephew, yeah, and, and we beam everyone off the shuttle and bring them to the bridge, not to sick bay. <laughs> Even though something might have happened to them, the programmable matter might be eating their Quick, legs. Quick, beam them someplace dramatic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, well, they don't use the transporter room in Discovery anymore because everyone has the uh, the the portable yeah. transporter. So, no, you, but, trans- but Brian's point is probably right that. Sick bay would almost always be a good default. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would. Be. <laughs> um, I'm just. They actually. They actually like redid the transporter room set to be their bar. So they 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 couldn't go to the transporter room on the oh, show if they wanted. That's to. interesting. They They'd literally have, have, have undone it. I I don't think I'd ever uh, considered that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, you could make a case for them doing it on the bridge because every bit of intelligence is vital at this point and maybe they saw something knew something and could quick convey it but yeah you know it's 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 drama well if speaking the, of if the programmable matter was eating my leg i would prefer to go to sick bay <laughs> i will give my report and then my leg will fall off <laughs> speaking of a uh, vital intelligence uh we we see the you know the failure of their first mission to books ship so then non says you know in the, in the event that that plan didn't work i was instructed to show you we've we actually have this this weakness it's like um it's like the death star plans it's like if we shoot right here it'll just completely blow up that that ship so they have this kind of a heated conversation between non and burnham but that's when saru is like we should find our common ground and talk up focus on that and then i guess that's the supposed to be the the message of the episode is uh, when when you're in confrontation with people to to focus on what common ground you have and to keep lines of communication open yeah and that, I that kind of inspires her to other. reach out to reach out to book yeah i felt like that um uh, as a broad philosophy for life yes that's that's a good idea and for negotiations yes but i felt like this was the cuban missile crisis moment and what i wanted to see was uh who's the russian commander who kept them from launching the nukes and like y- y- y'all know about this there was like an order to launch a nuke on a on a, a russian submarine and like one dude who we didn't find about for like this out for decades was you know kind of pushed back and basically kept them kept cooler heads uh, like it's, it's like an insane story but but yeah like that one guy might have stopped nuclear war um, I, I, that's the tension I wanted, uh, something like that. And, and I think that it's more of a time for, for interesting confrontations than it is for, um, con- contemplative middle ground. I did like the idea that, oh, we, 
we have a weapon that will take down our opponent. The the protagonist have a tool that will take out the antagonist. Because so often, oh no, the antagonist is completely unstoppable. No, no, we have a much more interesting story where we can just blow them out of the water. But there's all these reasons why we would prefer not to do that. And yeah. Find what what is the reason that they prefer not to do it other than they Burnham don't want to? They don't want to. They don't want to kill Buck and possibly d- blow up the Discovery too. Because they're like, okay, if we shoot them. It's not. It's gonna blow up book, but it might blow up discovery if we can't spore j- jump away because the uh, the isolinium is is that not, dangerous. Not to be too military here, but uh, those are both pretty acceptable losses for saving the whole galaxy. And then the the other thing that that Burnham throws in there is that oh yeah, we'll also you know lose the the spore drive technology because that ship has the prototype, and we that's notable enough. And we have the that's original, and the, and the Federation needs. I, I guess Tarka deleted the plans when he stole the prototype. We have to assume, um, like he yeah, took the maybe, IKEA. He, he took the IKEA uh, instructions. That would actually make sense. It'd be like, well, yeah, they're not going to blow me up if they can if they can avoid it. Maybe they should have made like a bigger deal about that because it is just one I think line. That would have helped that, me. That argument. Yeah. Yeah. That would have helped me anyway. I, I heard it when they said that, but yeah, that, that's what inspires Burnham to have Stamets look up how long it's going to take for the DMA to finish mining the Boronite, calculate how long that'll be, and then maybe we can run a plan by the president and by the admiral and then get Book to stand down. And so, yeah, I like that, okay, they're going to have to do their their thinking, you know, solve, yeah. solve the problem by thinking, not by and, shooting at things. And it's an example of them actually kind of using real science as opposed to tech the tech babble science. Yeah, that we they're, not, they're not just like reversing the polarity or realigning the deflector dish or you know something like that yeah yeah you can actually understand oh when all of the boromite is gone it the 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 mining machine moves somewhere else okay so if we know how long it takes to get rid of it uh, you know this it it is actually understandable and comprehensible so i appreciate and and they also did a good job with like the tactics of the the confrontation and then the the techno babbly things of like oh because of the dark matter interference our scanners aren't going to be reliable but also our cloaks aren't going to be great so both ships are going to be not as invisible as we'd like, but also uh, like a little bit blinded. And, the odds uh, will be even. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. spe- speaking of blinded, they have the those sensor blinders, and then we see more. Of, I commented on it last week, but you know, whenever Book and Burnham they'll do something, be like, "Oh yeah, this is just like that one time, yeah, that, that yeah. one year we spent <laughs> together off screen." But they do yeah. they do that here with, uh, and I like that it showed Burnham like she kind of smiled when she saw what Book was doing with the magnesium flare to try to blind yeah. the discovery sensors, and then when she countered it, Book was kind of smiling like they still have like that admiration for each other. Oh, which, yeah, I, I it sounds like, like Dave hated because he's like oh. like no the stakes are too high and y'all should not oh. like each other. But. You can yeah, assume see. that about almost all the things in this. Like I don't even need to talk about it, but yes, you're right. <laughs> I see. I was watching. I was like, oh my god. They're actually getting turned on, outwitting each other. <laughs> I kind of like it. I like it. They're actually getting turned on. Uh, Let yeah, me tell well. you, <laughs> I would be about that in a lower stakes in a lower stakes thing. But like they, uh, they chose to do this story that puts the whole galaxy on the line, um, I, and. I, and I can't. I, I can't feel the cutesiness of it in that in that context. I think I've watched too much Doctor Who. I'm fine with people being a bit cutesy while the whole <laughs> galaxy is on the line. But um, and I'm I'm fine. I'm kind of over all of the dark, dire 
new Battlestar Galactica screaming at each other and waving guns around on the bridge stuff kind of drama, melodrama about, about no, no, we have to do the hard choice. I was like, uh, does everything have to be not fun? So. I mean, I think that's fair. Uh, I, and I don't know that I necessarily want that. I don't want it to be like a binary thing. Like it either had to have a little bit of lightness in it and these moments of admiration and, and, and love, or it had to be Galactica. I, you know, I feel like they could have had a confrontation that was some sort of different confrontation altogether that didn't involve this mutar nebula stuff um but uh but yeah I, I i take your point i i will say on the science side using magnesium to set off a hydrogen cloud the hydrogen is going to need oxygen in order to combust and apparently it's not a hydrogen oxygen cloud it's just a hydrogen cloud. so but whatever they were trying they at least picked something that that we that people know can be explosive under certain circumstances and and uh so i i'll i'll give them a i'll give them a 7 out of 10 on that one it was reasonably good they they okay. i've heard worse technical i'll let i'll let dr aaron mcdonald know when i see her next week yeah uh, she's their their science uh, consultant right. maybe 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 the, the the maybe they have an explanation that i don't know maybe they know something about hydrogen clouds i'm i don't I'll, know i'll ask her yeah please actually she'll probably um, be like leave me alone but <laughs> <laughs> i will ask she'll say, are you a nerd That's what she's, she's gonna be like i'm trying to eat lunch yeah. <laughs> i did love the dueling spore drives yeah just, that and was it, I, I was amazing fun the, the ships looked good like one problem i've had with discovery from early on with a lot, a lot of their ship photography it's kind of weird to call it photography because it's all cgi but I, I always think, like, I don't get, like, the sense of scale that I want. I'm thinking more so of season one. They've gotten better in later seasons. But especially here, like, the, the ships didn't feel small like they sometimes do. Uh, I think I think a lot of it was just in the direction when they would have some of those those pan-in sh uh, shots that go into, like, the windows, the bridge windows everyone hates, which I'm not crazy about. But And then, like, when we see Burnham in the shuttle come out of the Discovery and then fly over to book ship, you get, like, a good sense of scale. And just the... It just it just looked cool the visuals of the the inside of the DMA. The, the other thing I liked here was when when Burnham is trying to to describe her plan of like wait let's let's calculate this this is actually this is something that book actually might agree to and she's saying like he's he's logical and I like that like oh yeah the girl who was raised on Vulcan uh, she's uh, she she's got like a, a respect for the logical. Yeah. Um, the, the, the conversation between the two of them where they're, they're separated by the windows, the view screen, speaking of, of Rathacon, I guess you could say it kind of echoes Spock and Kirk at the, at the end of that movie where they're, they're face to face, but there, there's a barrier between them, but you know, here there, there's thematically a barrier between them and we see them, you know, trying, trying to connect with each other through that. And that was the moment that kind of made my heart swell a little bit when, when book is like, 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 no, like I trust this woman. I did think. The, the writers totally seriously considered Michael in an EV suit. I mean, you know, they would have like, they load her in the EV suit and shoot her out like they do in every other season. And, and like they did in the Kelvin movies, because that's cool. But then they, somebody said, let's just put her in a shuttle. We don't have enough money for that. I think I prefer the shuttle though. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's a little bit more grounded. Like literally like her feet are on the ground inside of the shuttlecraft. She's not just like floating around yeah. all like, um, yeah. I think it would have been a little harder to take seriously. 
no, I, I agree. I, the shuttle was the right <laughs> choice, but you know the writers actually were considering what ended up being a joke in the final version of the script. The in the second script. time, the second time I watched this, I was like, this better not be the same shuttle that just got destroyed. I know, like, this is shuttlecraft number four, <laughs> the one that got destroyed was shuttlecraft number two. I was oh. like, okay, I'm not going to take <laughs> off points for that. Y'all, y'all got that right. Good job. Uh. I was a little surprised when they said put it in torpedo tube six. I was like, how many torpedo tubes does Buck's little ship have? Picard's Enterprise had three torpedo tubes, according <laughs> to the technical manual. Yeah, it's, so we it's only... 32nd century. It might be like micro torpedoes. They might be like torpedoes that shrink and then like get big when they're shot out or something. <laughs> the Emerald Chain yeah. were big jerks. Yeah, I guess Sometimes so. you had to torpedo them. <laughs> you know, um, I, over in uh, comment land, uh, I see the, uh, Michael Stepniak again. He was talking about thematically this being a kind of um, a discussion of de-escalation as a concept and that he felt it was uh, likely police related. And I think that's interesting. I, I didn't I, I will say I didn't particularly think of it as in that context. De-escalation for sure. Um, and, and thematically, I like that. I, I can you know, I can only say that like. You know, clearly execution is 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 my is what's tripping me up here because I like that idea. I didn't connect those dots either, but I I also uh, have to applaud that because I did appreciate the de-escalation. I just didn't think of that real world parallel. Yeah. Federation security sounds like a much more police name, so mm. that starts making more sense if that's what this episode is about. Yeah. Which now that you've said that, I think you've nailed it. That I mean, is... I I hate Although... that because I don't I don't want police to be a thing that exists in the federation <laughs> well i'm not sure if it's but, exactly that but i think it's kind of supposed to nudge us in the right direction and right i, I think totally you're right failed. brian i failed Although that said <laughs> i still think that like essentially the scope of the threat here which is galaxy destroyed or not kind of stuff removes it a little bit from that equation that like that's so far beyond you know beyond our world or you know our uh, a a police uh, isolated sort of uh, sequence uh, that I think that removes it from it a little bit. <laughs> it's just well, like, I mean, that's almost like that's a level of scope that we almost can't even conceive of. You're, you're more in the, it should be like 24 where you beat the hell out of them. Cause you got to find the nuke. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just that, um, that like, um, it, this this you know isn't uh, doesn't necessarily correlate with a day to day police thing on any level because it is a it, yeah it is that um, you know will humanity uh, or, and all other sentient races survive or not and I'm like ah you know at a certain point with that morality starts getting really weird that's why I honestly I say I, I hate to say it it sounds so hawkish but like I do like I think. Starfleet would have been within their right to blow up Bookship, blow up the Discovery. <laughs> like, all of that would be easy collateral damage, but for the Spore Drive, if you knew it could save the galaxy. <laughs> but you don't, you don't know it's going to save the galaxy either. That's part of the, that's part of the, the conundrum right. here, because it's like, well, you don't really know who is actually going to be the one to, like, trigger Galactic Armageddon. Is it going to be, if we allow the DMA to continue, is that going to be our downfall? Or is, if we blow up the DMA and piss off these aliens, is that going to be our downfall? Yeah. They should so, drop that in the, the next Mass Effect game. Yeah, it, it's also worth <laughs> you noting get to, that... You get that, the player is given that option? Yeah. Yes. That the level of destruction created by the DMA is certainly vast from the point of view of us living on the earth in the 21st century but relative to the size of a whole galaxy it's it's 
probably not all that. I mean, it would take a long time to start having a significant effect to the entire galaxy. Yeah, Species 10C is over there like, come on. <laughs> it's like 0.0000001% of the galaxy. Stop whining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we only killed a few billion people. It's fine. <laughs> you know how many hundreds, it's, there's a thousand, a hundred, a thousand trillion people there. And we yeah. killed a few we should, billion. We should probably Some... be getting into like the quintillions and we're talking about like galactic-wide populations. Yeah. Yeah, somebody yeah. uh somebody was talking about hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy in the comments and that is a that is a sort of ridiculous hitchhiker's guide way a uh, way to lens it yeah. <laughs> they're, they're just like ah oh, come on well i guess let's go ahead and talk about the big tarka moment where he he kind of does that thing where he looks at the audience through the camera and really like spells it out for the viewer at home but he's like uh you know in game theory there's a certain concept it's, it's, <laughs> but yeah basically uh we we get you know his... in villain theory there's a certain concept <laughs> of a speech right before you do something. <laughs> well, yeah, but what he what he's talking about is like an actual concept in right. economics, I guess. Um, but but basically just like you know risk evaluation and the the irony here is he says uh, you know I I when books like what are you doing he says I'm thinking clearly when he pulls the trigger has this big moment sets off the DMA controller. And it is kind of like that aw shit thing when everyone goes from like all smiling and happy, like, yeah, we did it to like book being on the comms, like, you got to get out of here. Tarka just beamed over the, the ice, ice linium weapon. This whole area is about to explode. But and suddenly it's back to being the TV show Dave wanted it to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, um, I don't think Tarka is thinking clearly. And like he's, I, th I, I, I don't even know if I'm going to like this, but I think it, we're likely to see him kind of become the villain of the show. If they're going to do like the big bad route and give the season like an Osira, which I don't know if I yep. will enjoy. They've made him semi-sympathetic at times, but yeah, he's clearly the driving force for a very aggressive approach. And he, he was getting stuff wrong. You know, like he thought, he thought that he would find his power source, get to go home to the universe he wants to escape to. He's not going to get that. He's denied that. So now he's faced with a scenario he never planned for, you know, like the, the entire Federation and Starfleet, you know, they're going to come after him. You know, he's, he's never considered these consequences, I don't think. So uh, he kind of has nothing left to left to lose. And that, you know, makes for a dangerous character. Yeah. No, um, I, I like the people in the comments keep complaining and comparing him to Elon Musk. But <laughs> well, the thing is, like in real life, these geniuses like don't really exist. Or if they do, like they tend to they tend to be yeah. very specialized. They know a whole lot about one little thing. But I mean, like Elon Musk has kind of been proven to be a bit of a a bit of a moron, really. Like he was born into an extremely wealthy family and then paid to get the title of founder of of Tesla cars and then. For whatever reason, like uh, Wall Street really likes the his his stock, and and because because they value it so highly, he's considered the richest man in the world. But yeah, he's he's a bit of a of a dum dum in in real life. He hangs out here in Austin. Uh, I've I actually heard someone running into him recently. But uh, anyways, uh, but but yeah, I, I think that's uh, we see a lot of these villain geniuses in our fiction, and I'm all you know like Lex Luthor and stuff, and I'm always like, man, like in real life, these uh, these you know billionaire scientists, like none of them are actually like this brilliant. But I mean, you you need you need your bad guys in your story to be kind of good at something. Well, right. they need and to be able do... to stand up to the good guys right, who are right. always whipping science techno babble solutions out of a hat <laughs> yeah. to solve yeah, even, every problem. In <laughs> fiction, even villains get romanticized, is I think how yeah. it, what it comes down to, and yeah. we want them to be appealing on some a level beyond a little bit of the just 
duplicitousness of that we so often see in our own real people <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of frightening how in real life a lot of the bad guys are, tend to be like oh they're just like big buffoons that were at the right place at the right time and <laughs> Right, or have it, uh, are canny media manipulators or tellers of their own, uh, constructors of their own narrative. What were y'all's reaction to this, the, the big moment of, of crossing the Rubicon, kind of the name of the, the episode? Because, you know, for me, it was pretty impactful, but most people I've, I've seen reactions from, uh, I, I think a lot of people th- thought, thought this was a little too predictable. I thought, I, I guess I don't know if I was exactly surprised, but I didn't feel disappointed or annoyed at a predict uh, at a predictability level i thought okay and, and then tarka does what tarka is gonna do and that's <laughs> that's raised the stakes and now what's gonna happen next I, that was my big my reaction what's gonna happen next yeah. the, the my, thing mine was like, was like oh no we, we we spent this whole episode trying to prevent this and i thought we did and then now it happens and uh, i'm sad I guess- for me, the 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 that we spent the whole episode getting us to book saying I trust I trust Michael completely, and that was the that was the that was the end goal for for all of, for much of that was the uh, dramatic and emotional fulcrum yeah. for you. And this is just setting up what's going to happen next week. <laughs> yeah, so. well, in the next uh, the next four weeks, which kind of seems like a lot, um, yeah. but. Obviously, what will happen next is we will learn about the boring control-style villain and uh, prepare to go out with a whimper. Uh, or that's that's what I'm bracing for. Uh, so I, you are I was, more cynical than Tarka. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I was neutral on it because I was kind of detached at that point anyway, so... It, it, I didn't have any any special feelings toward it, toward it, other than yeah, I was was setting up the what what's to come, but it it certainly didn't have a dramatic impact on me at that point. Mm. And um, I thought it, but I, I, I like again, I was sort of feeling a bit of disappointment because I felt like their you know attempt to board was toothless. The various confrontations kind of felt toothless. Non as a threat felt uh, toothless. And then you know he launches the thing. Uh, Tarka does. It's toothless <laughs> or proves to be so I'm somewhat curious to see what they will break, break out for the the thing. I it's, it's, it's a big danger to me in, in this sort of serial format TV to have big revela- revelations held till the 11th hour. Um, because if you don't come through on them, you know, it's kind of, kind of unfortunate i remember in a random example of like one that i thought worked pretty well but it was just a two-hour movie was in the movie serenity they they revealed um what in firefly where the reavers had come from and you know that you know what it came out of and it had a thematic resonance with the captain's story and i was like oh that's a pretty good reveal and it set up a cool final act uh, but but I think it works much better in in sort of movie formats or episodic formats. Well, let's talk about this this ending. Uh, we we have a little wrap up at Starfleet HQ, and then oh, we should also talk about the Saru and Tarina B story, and then our our ominous ending. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess I guess Non leaves, but she says, uh, "Oh yeah, I'll come back and visit the Discovery again someday." And and we learn like why she like wasn't getting along with her family, which I didn't think was you know speaking of not having satisfying reveals, I didn't think was all that interesting. But uh, I had forgotten in season three. Wait, they... what, wait, what was the deal with her family? What, what what did she what did she reveal it? Well, she just said like I had a hard time like connecting with them. Like I couldn't tell them that I was from like the ship from the past, and I had <laughs> I had forgotten in season three that they they classified that. I think Vance said that like a. Uh, Oh, we think it'll 
piss too many people off because of, like the the temporal accords. We don't want to we don't want to create like the stigma about how like you're not supposed to be doing time travel and and right the, right the 32nd century. So they didn't they they kept that hush hush. I guess the truth still hasn't come out on that, but yeah, uh, I guess I thought that it wouldn't matter by the 32nd century. Well, that's when they had that's when they they had those time travel laws was in the 32nd century. Okay, so Nan wasn't able to kind of uh, be open about that or talk to anybody. Yeah. I can see how that would certainly send you back to your found family on the Discovery, the, the only people who can talk about it. Which he basically says, like, I'll come back in season five. <laughs> yeah. That's how I, how I read that. <laughs> and we have that B story of Tarina and Saru, where, uh, Dave, I, I think I've heard you express some fondness for this flirtation between them before do you, does this relationship work better for you than the book and, and burnham one it's it's to me it's a it's a little bit of a callback to sort of tng's kind of naivete about sort of romantic overtures uh which i wasn't really big on in tng um you know poor poor jordy and barkley and all of those guys nerds <laughs> uh, you know I, I i feel like that's a trope that trek could could stand to retire too not that Everybody like is comfortable with romance. Uh, that's always, I think, going to have its role. But I think that there, Saru's particular timidness, it's not, it's not particularly interesting to me in this. I, I actually felt like since he's, uh, I guess, since he uh, dropped his ganglia, uh, <laughs> that I kind of wanted to go ahead and like, I, I would be more interested to see what comes of their relationship than see him tiptoeing up to it. Oh. So well, they, they gave a reason for his reservations i thought with what yeah. was it that he was it that he was busy <laughs> yeah basically like you know like the uh the whole galaxy is on the line right now i, I don't that's know if true. you have time for that yeah yeah that's true um <laughs> this this did uh, make me think though like I, their their hologram technology where you can like hologram from one place to another uh, it's like man that really does totally change the dynamics of like long distance dating like if you yeah. could just like physically appear uh in, not the the advantages that would come yeah. along with that is if you could appear as a as a Star Trek hologram, not just I mean, physically, it also works psionically. She's yeah. able to read him. Their tele their holocom system has psionic circuits that that transfer telepathic signals. I was like, what? yeah, we I mean, we saw that with Guardian Z when he yeah. was when he came over as a hologram to do the Trill stuff earlier in the season. Yeah, I was just like, well, damn, okay then. <laughs> uh, so I I I, 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 I at first I was like, oh cool they have hard light holograms they they can generate something physical um in in their quarters or wherever they need it in this ship that's well, kind of Tarina cool. seems to want to generate something physical with saru yeah but, yes uh, <laughs> i did Sa like saru's conversation with with colber when colber says uh connections always yeah. uh there's always risk but yeah. that kind of ties into i guess the stuff like with with tarka and you know with with burnham saying like just give me just give me time i think i can talk book down and it's like Oh, you have to balance risk with with your assessment and with like taking your shot. And yeah. Tarka ultimately ultimately decided to be like Alexander Hamilton and not throw away his shot, and he took it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you've got Saru sitting here saying, "I could get in a relationship with this person," but Michael got in a relationship with Book, and that has not gone well at all. So, yeah, but Colbert's do like, "Don't throw myself? away your shot." Yeah, yeah. I did think it was fun that Saru has the president of Navarre on speed dial um, and that she probably has a dedicated ringtone for him. And uh, I, I also thought it was 
amusing. I know you're busy running your space planet, but could you help me with my meditation technique? <laughs> <laughs> uh and she's down for it she's like oh sure uh i did think it was a little odd when they try meditating then she's like you know you you, you need to calm down so that you can meditate and i'm like <laughs> the point of meditation is to calm your down she's actually saying you need to go calm down so that you can then calm down okay <laughs> so it, which is something i see a lot with people who don't quite wrap their heads around what meditation is but um i don't i don't really i'm not really sure i understand what meditation is but. so I, I ended up head cannoning it that she just wanted to turn this into an opportunity for a day to ask him out on a date yeah well, I mean, I I, she, that's, that's what i read it as as well yeah right and i think that she recognized that that was kind of what he wanted consciously or subconsciously and that the reason he couldn't meditate was because you it's hard to think straight when you're you know, trying to break, reveal to someone you have romantic feelings for them. Especially when you're holding their hands. Yeah, it's fixing to get Blade Runner 2049 in that room. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, Saru is called away from his conversation with Colber uh, to report to the bridge because Burnham says, look, the USS Mitchell is monitoring the area of space where the DMA was, and shocker, another DMA has just appeared. Bump, bump, bump. <laughs> So they're clearly aware that we blew up their their last mining machine and they sent another one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it could be an automated process. Yeah. Probably isn't, but I, I that, and I loved this beat at the end. I was really? just like the 10C gives no fucks. They don't seem to care at all. It's almost insulting how <laughs> small their reaction was after they spend all these episodes the, the heroes spent all these episodes stressing out about what will their reaction be? They could start a war and this all this this is so important. This is, you know, life or death decision and the 10C is like whatever, we've got lots of these things just put another one out there it's i just loved how they just totally reframed and recontextualized everything with that simple yeah they just put another one out there they, they give no fucks they they don't you they really don't care about you guys <laughs> i guess i guess it does kind of uh make you ponder more the the mystery of what what will these entities be like and how will they react when there is like actual full-on communication with them which I, yeah. I think is going to happen soon and i guess that, that brings me to my final thoughts on the episode um which is uh two things but one four episodes kind of seems like a lot left to resolve this i feel like we're, we're closer to the ending than that and if they follow form which i i'm not crazy about this formula but if they do take the same route as say season one of picard and seasons two and three of discovery then what they typically do is they have the third to last episode is kind of a, a bridge that sets up the big two-part finale. And then they do the big two-part finale. But I kind of feel like we're ready to like, you know, get to that now. So I'm just I'm just throwing this out there. This is probably wrong. This is just my speculation. But I'm wondering if next week we get like the big the bridge that sets up all the pieces on the chessboard for the two-part finale. Then we basically get a two-part finale with episodes 11 and 12 and then we have episode 13 our season finale and that's gonna be more of a, like little a little epilogue stuck on the end if anyone has seen we were talking about buffy earlier buffy the vampire slayer but if anyone has seen like season four of that show they kind of like broke their formula they also normally ended seasons with a two-part 
finale, but then season four, they had like this weird little epilogue episode where everyone took naps and it was like all about their dreams. It's it kind of a interesting and weird choice for a, a weird season of that show. But Father, um, was that the one that had the cheese and stuff? Yeah, with the cheese, man. Yeah, that there, was a good episode. I, I'm also thinking that part of the finale of this season and people should comment and let me know if they if they agree with this if they think i'm right if they think i'm wrong i could be way off the the money here but there's been so much talk about you know sacrifice making the tough choices the first episode was called kobayashi maru burnham having to face the no win scenario i'm wondering if burnham will have to choose between saving book and saving the galaxy and that book will die book will be sacrificed Book and Burnham will be like, oh, yeah, we still love each other. This is going to be so tragic and heartbreaking. And I have to die to save everyone. And you have to let me go. And we get that. And then maybe like a little epilogue episode will be like the funeral episode. That's just I'm kind of just spitballing that. But yeah. I, I can have, totally see that happening. Yeah, I have wondered if Book will survive this season. I <laughs> hope he does because I kind of do, too. Yeah, I, I, I just love watching the two of them together. And the thought of going into season five without that is not exciting. I did uh, my, my final but, but thought. For Dave, is, for Dave, Brian, that would that would clear up room to give like, you know, more attention to some of the other characters that he says yeah, he's missing. So true. maybe Dave is on team. Uh, Hashtag let's kill book. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't say anything. <laughs> let's burn the book. Burn the book. Just... Hashtag burn the book. Um, it's a see. small world one in our live audience. She says, no, I love book. I mean, I, I love them too. I don't, I'm not saying that I want to see that happen, but I can totally see it. So I hate yeah. I, I, and I could be, I could be yeah. really wrong, but I would, the, the, the big thing that gives me hope that book will survive is that, just as we've commented, the show is taking a fairly light hearted uh, uh, relatives to, to the stakes verve and to, it would be kind of a tonal crash to kill him off given how, how much kind of rompy funnish this, this season has been. Oh, um, oh, know, oh no, 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 wait. I know, I know how to make it work. I know how to make it work, Brian. I have a way to make it work they, too. I think they, they, they tease us. They tease us that we've lost book. But then we end on like, like, no, wait, there's still hope. And the season five is going to be Star Trek Discovery, book. the search for book. <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, I can. That would totally work with the tone they've set. Um, so here's what I think is uh, I feel like um, there's a potential place for book in which he it, this is sort of not a great solution because it does take him off the grid. But it, it, it's yeah, he's he goes off with these aliens or whatever, because they cannot conceive of how we are ethics and society work but book has a both a unique uh spore drive connection and also a unique sort of empathic ability that connected him to like the biosphere of his planet uh and if he could essentially be their sort of interpreter their linguistic guide their societal guide to humanity in the milky way galaxy uh i could see him exiting the show for a time to essentially get these revolving door it's that revolving yeah. door we talked about. Get these aliens up to speed on maybe not digging in our ant pile. <laughs> I would I would really like that. Of all the yeah. things we we've speculated, I think that might be my favorite, Dave. No, well, it fits a... it fits what he what his kind of ability set is, and I and I I, I don't want to see book get killed. He's I like the character. No, I, I was I was I, giving I, you a hard time. I struggle sometimes to figure out what I wanted him to what I where I would want him on the ship. But anyway. Um, <laughs> I think that would be an interesting one uh, that that would indeed yeah also fulfill your he's off the ship but could come back um, you know at at their behest. 
And for me, I think that would be a very satisfying conclusion to his arc this season of like, you know, getting his planet blown up and losing everything in the first episode to here where he kind of has like a new purpose. My final thought is, uh, as far as prediction goes, is that Tark is going to end up having to come to terms with the fact that he needs to negotiate with the uh, 10C because they have the power he needs to go home. And and, and that's going to end up being a a reversal from him from Mm. blowing them all up. He's got to, okay, now I've got to make a deal with these guys. Tark is kind of the wild card and that that kind of makes me nervous that that they they might do something weird uh, with Tarka. If the theme of de-escalation in any way continues to run through the uh, through the season, then the, yeah, he he he's still a wild card that could like ruin things for everybody, but uh, or make them more interesting. It depends on how they play the wild card, I guess. I do, uh, like I said, a time an episode or two back, I I kind of like his presence. I don't love him as a like like as a person he needs to get punched in the nose but as a as a as a dramatic presence he actually is a fairly lively character and i kind of like that if that's all we have on rubicon i will go ahead and go into the gorn egg section of the show that's where we talk about all the easter eggs in jokes and continuity connections i found within the episode that i thought were worth mentioning but the first one we'll just start with the title of the episode itself rubicon that is a reference to what Julius Caesar is believed to have said in real life history, but uh, yeah, essentially, if you don't know what that means, it's when he took the army across the Rubicon back into Italy. Uh, the The army wasn't supposed to march into their home country because that could be used to take over the government, and that's what he was trying to do. So once he did that, his kind of intentions were shown, and uh, the, the the well, the quote is "the die is cast." That's what he's believed to have said: "is the die is cast" when he when he crossed the river Rubicon. Um, which might just be something call... that, that Shakespeare made up, I think. Yeah, they couldn't call the episode The Die is Cast. So. Right, because there is a Deep Space Nine episode called The Die is Cast, which that's the episode where we we uh, see the uh, Cardassian Obsidian Order and the Romulan Tal Shiar team up to go attack the Dominion and go try to blow up the Changeling homeworld. Uh, that was in season three. That was a big oops. <laughs> but, but yeah, in general, like um, crossing the Rubicon is a quick metaphor for the point of no return return, yeah right uh next up commander non is now working in federation security i think the only time the words federation security the the only time those those words were ever said in canon was star trek 3 when we meet the federation security officer who overhears mccoy talking about visiting forbidden planets in a bar and then takes them to the federation funny farm Yep. And, and that guy's totally Section 31, right? Retroactively. Yeah, there's, like, a lot of, there's a lot of examples where you could you can retcon that in if, if yeah. you choose to do so. That guy was like, your voice is carrying. <laughs> yeah, I think he might have been too nice to be Section 31. He seemed like he <laughs> like gave him an opportunity to stand down on his own before he arrested him. Next, Gorneg, we have a rogue planet in this episode. This one might be a bit of a stretch, but uh, there is an episode of Enterprise called Rogue Planet about visiting a rogue planet. That's a, a real-life astronomy term. That's just a planet with no solar system. It it escaped its solar system, and it's just floating around rogue. It's like a ronin, a samurai with no master, a planet without a star. <laughs> it's a little chilly, lonely planet. <laughs> Except on Enterprise, where it's got jungles and plants with... It was like geothermal heat coming out of the planet's core. And Um, green leaves to absorb the non-existent solar radiation. (laughs) (laughs) 
the next Gorneg book mentions an incident that happened with Hilm and Burnham when they were in Breen space. They had a run-in with some pirates, and he called it the Breen Gambit. Uh, the Breen were a species that were first mentioned in The Next Generation, but we didn't really get to see them until Deep Space Nine. Their first on-screen appearance was the Deep Space Nine Season 4 episode, Indiscretion. Interesting thing about that episode is that me and Dave actually talked to the writers who wrote the story. They got the story credit for that episode, uh, Tony Mayberry and Jack Trevino. They live right down the road from where we live in Austin, Texas. They're in San Antonio, Texas. So uh, go check that out in text Trek number, I don't remember off the top of my head, but about a year ago. So uh, 50 less than now, like in the text Trek 120-something probably. Um <laughs> But it's there if you look for it. And then the, the last Gornag I have, because I didn't count the USS Mitchell as a Gornag. I don't think it's named after Gary Mitchell. I don't know who the USS Mitchell is named after. Uh, so that's not on the list. But what is on the list is the DMA controller. And I, I still don't know if, if I'm sold that this is a connection to the Omega Molecule. But uh, everyone uh, that I've talked to seems to think that the, the look and shape of the DMA controller is remarkably similar to how the Omega Molecule was shown to look in the Star Trek Voyager episode, The Omega Directive. I think we might be reading too much into this. I think it might be a case of, oh, the control's got to be the Borg, right? But uh, I might be wrong, maybe. I mean, Boronite is the big Omega Molecule thing, so Omega Molecules might show up. I'm just not sure if this DMA controller is 100% for sure meant to look like that that kind of doesn't make sense to me that like this machine looks like the omega molecule but are there any upcoming episode titles that have omega in them uh, i don't i don't or... know any of the upcoming episode titles i don't think oh. they've they've released them okay but yeah I... I'm, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen in these these next four episodes but yeah it could it could just be omega molecules all over the yeah. place given that they keep mentioning the galactic barrier i kind of think the mitchell thing is deliberate i don't think people would name ships after him I, I, maybe maybe in universe it's not named after that Mitchell, but I think the writers probably all went and watched that episode and and are very aware of the character, and that might be why he showed up in the. I've script. seen that happen before. I can't think yeah. of an example off the top of my yeah. head, but I've seen like they clearly pulled something out of a certain episode, mm -hmm. and then, like a couple episodes later, I'll see something else, and I was like, "Oh, you writers, that was just like fresh on your mind because you watched that other episode <laughs> for this other reason." Yeah. I've, I've noticed that happen before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, that's all I have for Gorneggs. I do want to talk about the subspace transmissions, though. We like to get feedback from our audience. So if you have any thoughts or opinions on this episode, be sure to let us know. You can leave a comment on YouTube. You can reply to me on Twitter. You can comment on the Text Trek Facebook page. I do have uh, a couple I want to mention. The first one being from Paul Sutherland. And this is about last week's episode, All In. Uh, but, the casino episode. Yeah, the casino heisty episode, uh, which I think might be fair to call a filler episode. I, But uh, Paul Sutherland, our friend on Twitter, said, I thought this episode had a few cute moments, but was a weak place to jump back in after a likely unintentional mid-season break. Frustratingly, little story progression kept it down to... It's like, yeah, like this is more of, of what I was, I was hoping for um, than what we got last week. And then uh, our friend Stress Free K, who's in our live audience now, and he left us this uh, this really long comment on YouTube um, that I don't think I have time to read all of it, but he, he kind of expanded some of the thoughts he was expressing last week about uh, mental health workers and Dr. Kolber's reaction to book and in the episode All In. Uh, but then the, the thing I wanted to point out here is uh, some speculation that he came across 
stress free k writes also what did i miss in the uh youtube uh channel what did i miss speculates that it's the q who are responsible for the dma which could trigger a crossover event with picard perhaps the dma belongs to a baby q that lost one of its toys so now our delancey q has to come and help fix this and maybe the omega particle will attract the new and improved 32nd century board uh stress free k i I understand like the the thinking with that because there's going to be some overlap between Discovery season four and Picard season two, and uh, that's that's going to be three weeks of we're getting episodes of both shows at the same time. But I don't think there's going to be any storyline crossover like that because I think this overlap was kind of unintentional. I think they thought that Discovery season four would have all aired before they start on Picard, and I think uh, Picard was also meant to start shooting much sooner than it did it was delayed because of covid they actually wanted to do picard season two before we would have had discovery season four i think if we lived in a non-pandemic-y world i think that's what would have happened so i don't think that was planned but that would be interesting i'm I'm open to them doing that at some point i would like to see some some show to show crossover and i think i think they've they've teased that that they they would like to do something like that at some point so we'll see if they ever do it and certainly Q is the easiest way to, to arrange it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Q could make that happen very easily. And, and stress-free, I see that you're in our, our audience now uh, saying that crossover would be so cool. And I do agree with you. But uh, that's going to be it for Text Trek this week. We will be back next week to discuss our next episode of Star Trek Discovery. Just a reminder, if you watch us live, that will probably be at an earlier time. Until then, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at txtrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.